I think that all of the problems that we face, whether it's climate, uh, Russia, <laughs> all, the, all of these problems, I think, stem from an emotional problem, a spiritual and an emotional problem. And it's, I don't know if it's just, I don't know whether to be more scared or more sad. one person actually make a difference in unifying the entire world? What are some tools I can use to live a life of more freedom? These are just some of the concepts you'll hear about in every episode of See One Beautiful Soul. Shalom, salam, hola, ni hao, everyone. This is Barbara Heller. I am so excited to report that I left South Florida, got on a plane, and went to Louisville, Kentucky. That is actually how you say it. And I got to visit one of the sweetest, most amazing synagogues in the country, Adath Jeshrin. And I spoke several times over the weekend. We had a Shabbaton. But after the sun went down on Saturday night, Motzei Shabbat, we had a live taping of this podcast. And that's what you're about to hear right now. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and forward it to someone that you care about. And please follow me on Instagram or on YouTube. You can find both links at barbheller.com. Welcome to another episode of See One Beautiful Soul. My name is Barbara Heller and I'm your host. And I am so grateful and lucky and honored to be here at this beautiful congregation. Is is it pronounced Adath Yeshurin or is it just Adath? Adath Jeshurin. Adath Jeshurin. Okay. Or add it, Yashurin. Or add it, Yashurin. Add it. Are you, and while you're at it, go to Yashurin. So um, I was brought here by the amazing Rabbi Joshua Korber and Rabbi Bob, and I got to work with Hazan Lip, and we had such an amazing Shabbos together. Uh, we meditated, we sang, we nigund, that's the song without words, um, we prayed, we talked a lot, we ate great food. There's a special chef here. And we thought it would be fun and cozy to have a live studio taping of our podcast. Yay! And I get to interview one of my colleagues, but really one of my dearest, dearest friends, uh, Joshua Korber. Hmm. So give it up to, for Rabbi Korber. <laughs> you can hear the studio audience. Um, we are in... What do you call this, a, an assembly room? Or? Social hall. Social hall. This is called the large. The large. The large. <laughs> that's, that's the special, like, underground slang they, they have for it here. The underground. This I'm, is the large. I want to introduce my friend a little bit. Um, I had the distinct honor of knowing him while he was in rabbinical school, and he has not changed at all. And I mean that in the sweetest way, because he was probably born a rabbi. I get to meet your parents tomorrow, I think, which is really exciting. Um, Cause I've known you like, I think 15 years we figured out something like that easily. And That's it crazy. feels like I met him yesterday. He still has the same jovial, like boyish spirit. We kind of grew up together as professional Jews. We've always been working in Jewish education and oh, I'm going to cry. Uh, I cry a lot on this podcast. Um, Joshua has this distinct, Mida characteristic of just having so much chain. And I don't know a good, what would you say chain is in English? Uh, it's translated usually as grace. Yeah. Um, graciousness, graciousness. It's like more than graciousness. Um, if he, well, I've known him when he had like a one bedroom, but like, even if he had like a little studio apartment, he'd be like, come on in, let's bring everybody. Let's celebrate. Like he's just always into celebrating life. 
And right, you guys know him a little bit. He's been here for a little while. And he really cares very deeply about all people. And I think that's what makes rabbis great. I think a good rabbi really cares about their congregation. But I think a great rabbi or teacher really cares about all people. He really cares about humanity. And every time I talk to him, it comes up like every single time. Mm. And I notice because that's what this podcast is about. So when he asked me to fly up from Florida, Florida, in the middle of the winter, I was like, sure. And then it was 30 degrees. And then I was like, oh, <laughs> I gave my word. <laughs> <laughs> so I still flew up and it was totally worth it. So thanks for being my friend, number Aww. one. Thanks for teaching me every single time I see you. Because that's the thing about him. He doesn't just teach great words of Torah and he doesn't just learn them all the time and read so much, but he also exemplifies it. Like he's the kind of person that we all want to be, right? So on that note, Thank you for coming on here as a, as a rabbi. Um, we're going to just dive right in. So how did you come to want to be a teacher of spiritual things? Like, how did you know that's what you wanted to do? I suppose, uh, like you, um, I always was a talker. <laughs> Why? I, I Why do you I say always, that? I always, I always had quite a bit that I wanted to uh, explain to people, and I always had an imagination that exceeded my capacity <laughs> to, to explain. And as a young kid, I was, I was taken in by the, by the lore of Judaism, the, the stories of Joshua and David and Jacob and Joseph and his dreams and the, and the music. And I think that there was a significant, in my, in my mind, there was a significant overlap between that world and the world that was presented through um, animation and video games in the 1980s. Like it was, it was to me, it was all, it was all one sort of mythical reality mm. that was um, a lot more interesting than what I considered the rather sort of dull regular kind of dreary Vancouver reality. You just said dreary and Vancouver in the yeah, same. Because, okay, because yes. I grew up in the flatland swamps of Florida. Right. So when I started and, going and, to Whistler, I was like, how could you not want to? And Vancouver is gorgeous, but nobody goes there in mm. between September and, and, and April, which is, you know, if there's, there's two seasons. There's, right. there's three, Freezing there's 30 days of, of summer. And then there's, yeah. The rest of the time, it's 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 re it's a little bit dreary and depressing. But I I really liked, mm -hmm. as I got it to be an older teenager, I really liked talking about spirituality. My eyes would light up and I would get excited, and all my friends knew me very well by that point, and their eyes would roll over and they go, oh, "Here he goes, he's going <laughs> religion again." And uh, one of my closest friends, he observed like that. I always kind of was a rabbi, mm. like you said, I was, was born, I was sort of born a rabbi. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're a born natural teacher. You like to share your knowledge in such a potent, loving way because you're really like Martin Buber, like an eye and bow person. Hmm. He doesn't just like yell at the, you know, this is what I'm going to say. It's like, do you get that? Do you, what do you think? You know? Yeah. So that's, I think that's what. And then, um, so you grew up in Vancouver and then how did you come to know like Reiki and that type of spiritual knowledge. So for your listeners that don't know, Reiki is a Japanese 
um, energy modality that has a strong overlap with meditation and spirituality. And that's that some people go in the clinical direction for pain treatment and, and treatment of diseases. And I kind of went more in the meditation uh, realm. And I was already really, I was dabbling without much of a path in the world of, you know, especially Jewish Buddhism, which was like huge, and uh, Buddhism and Hinduism and studying this in school at the same time. And I ran into this very strange fellow on, uh, on, on campus in the University of British Columbia, um, who was only a year or two my senior and was, you know, t taking uh, courses just a few years ahead of me. And um, it was actually at, there was a Hillel Friday night dinner. Yep. And then we went and vi visited the Ukrainian club because it was like 50 cent vodka shots. <laughs> and it was, I think it was in line there that this, that this fellow, um, Japanese Canadian fellow came up and asked me if I wanted to try Reiki. And I said, sure. And I, first time I didn't really, you know, oh, interesting. He's giving me Reiki here in the hallway. And I didn't, I didn't know about Reiki. And then he, I ran into him again on campus. And that time I think I felt something. And can and you describe what, because that sounds a little weird. He it was very vague. So hallway. he, you know, like, he, you kind of, you put your hands out and he puts his hands over, um, your hands and then kind of goes through the rest of your chakras. And I was familiar with the concept of chakras, about energy centers in the body, but um, it, was, it was very vague. Like I wasn't sure if I felt, I was pretty skeptical about it. Like I didn't, I didn't really think, think much of it, but every night I had a practice of meditating in my room before going to bed. And that night, um, the second, after the second time I got like a little attunement from him, mm -hmm. he, I, it was different. I felt much more focused, and I thought maybe there's something to this. And, and mm -hmm. I saw him on a few other occasions, and then one time, like that was it. Like I, I really felt something, and I and I thought, and you know, we actually were working on like there was a pain that I had here, and he was explaining to me what emotional characteristic that had to do with about controlling, mm. well, not wanting to let go, mm. and and I was like, well, this is very powerful, and like this is like. I kind of had the feeling that this was something that I needed, that I'd been looking for for a long time. Mm. And he agreed to train me for free so long as I agreed to train others and heal others pay for free. Pay, yeah. pay it forward. Yeah. And, and as growing up reform and feeling very positive about there being a God and that Reiki was from God, that Reiki, my Reiki training and my Reiki kind of practice that I did on people was Tikkun Olam. Like that was my... Tikkun Olam meaning... I'm going to translate for all the non-religious Jews and also people who don't know Hebrew at all, right? Tikkun Olam means to literally heal the world or fix the world. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of letting things go, I think that was one of my hesitations when you first, you know, agreed. I, I, I just wanted you on the podcast. But I was like, I feel like he's not going to have anything to say when I ask this next question. So I'm excited because we haven't even prepped for this. But Joshua... Do you have a story that you could share with us about having to forgive someone or something or? Yeah. Okay. I, I, I have, I have lots. Are you guys ready? Cause this is your rabbi. You're about to hear about what's going on here. Start with a small one. Whatever I'll start you, you with a small one. Okay. okay. This one is. Get comfy. This one is, it's, it's just sort of like a cute, <laughs> a fun cute one. It's not, it's, it's not serious pain. It's not serious pain. Okay. I was at uh, Kiddush lunch at Ikar, where I know, I know you've been there before, right? Yeah, that's and in LA. 
And just Beautiful. for people who don't know, the, the feeling there is it's, it's like here and it's very everyone welcome. If there's a, someone that you haven't seen before, you invite them to sit down at your table and people from all walks of life from all over LA come there. It's a sanctuary synagogue. And, yeah, sanctuary synagogue. In the, in the, everyone's in welcome, in the, Jews, non-Jews. In the large, we were in the, we were in their large kind of social hall having kiddish. And everyone's sort of going to the buffet, getting themselves seated. And I wasn't really with anyone or planning to sit with anyone in particular. I was going to just sit down at a table and see who else uh, was going to come sit with me. And there was a group of people. There was actually, I think it was a bat mitzvah or something, because there were a whole bunch of people who weren't normally there. And I sat down, had all my stuff there. And then I went up to get, I don't think, a cup of tea or something, and then came back. And when I came back, there was a woman sitting there at that same table. And without saying hello or anything, she just was like, oh, we're sitting here. Mm. Like, and I was like, I was, I was so taken aback at the... Would, there's no hello, there's no would you like to sit with us, it's just go away, we're sitting here. And I was like, oh really? This place that I was already sitting? And she paused for a moment, she was taken aback, and it was like awkward. And she was like, yes, this place that you were already sitting. And I was like, and I was like okay. And, I, and I, I got up and I went to another table and to, to sit with other friends and they were like, hey, what's going on? And I was like, I couldn't even speak. I was like, I was, because, and that's like a thing about my personality that it's taken a lot of work to realize and then overcome is that like, I don't like being in conflict with people and I don't sure. like, I really don't like when people are upset with me. Like that, a hard thing to handle. But yeah. this was like, this was like, I, I like did not feel good at all. And I was, I just was like something, I was like, because I want to leave, and like this is, but this is my shul. Like, who the hell is this? Yeah. <laughs> like, and and so, but you know, I just couldn't live with it. And so I went back over there, and I said, "I'm sorry. Will you forgive me?" And she said, and and she said, and she looked at me and she said, "If you'll forgive me." Oh. And like and like she, you could see like she had like tears in her, like she had tears in her eyes. She stood up and she hugged me, and like it was, it was it was nice. That is a cute forgiveness. It's like story. a cute little wow. quick one. It's like a quick. Because it all was it all was within like a five minute thing. So what really happened? You mean like what really at happened that there? Lunch? Yeah. Did you have a trigger from like being a little kid? Because I have a feeling you're like me. Or mm. when I was in middle school, this is where I had Mean Girls. Mm. I was not welcome at any of the lunch tables mm. because I was like when Josh and I found each other, we were like, oh my gosh. You're like my holy brother. Like, we're the same. We're super friendly. And most people at first, how many times has this happened to you? They don't believe it at first. They're like, what do you want from me? Right? Because most people don't get this. Mm. Like, we're hard on our sleeves kind of people. And his wife's yeah. like that, too. When I met Chloe, I was like, okay, she's peeps, as Rabbi Bob would say. Like, she's one of us. But most people are not living in that world. So mm. do you think, I'm totally projecting. I don't know if your childhood was like that. You sound like you have had a great I'm definitely childhood. sensitive since... I've definitely been yeah. very sensitive. Yeah. But did it take you back to a moment? Is that where that came from? I'm not sure. Because you didn't say, 
and I'm not assuming you would, this is a very high level, but you know, you and I both know people that are on such a Madrega level that they would be like from the beginning of that woman, oh, of course, take my spot. And it wouldn't even bother them. They'd be like, yeah. you have issues, but I'm going to give it to you. Take the spot, right? Oh, yeah. I had, I had, um, I mean, I think, I think even now something like that would have bothered me, but I'd be different in the moment. Like this was 10 years ago, like at least. Sure. So I've grown a bit. Yeah. But yeah, was a lot more triggered. But what else happened is that within five minutes, you became a tzaddik. You became a righteous person because you used it. Like what I thought you were going to say the ending of the story was, I walked away and I forgave her from home. But instead right. you went right back up to that woman. Yeah. And said, will you forgive me for being angry with you for being kind of a jerk? Yeah. And she immediately did what? She also felt the need for forgiveness. Not only an apology, but one that she would never forget. And right? that's really transformative because we want to be validated. Oh, I was wronged. And, and, and so I feel get my, my pound of flesh by getting my apology. Yeah, eye for but, an eye. Let's but go. But really, you yeah. know, what you, what you really want is for relationships to be transformed and for people to transform. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And you did that. In that, in that instance. Yeah. In that instance. So what's a deeper one? So there's, that a, there's, was like there's an other stuff. What's I got the hardest other, one? Let's go right to I'll, the I'll go to the jugular. hardest one. It's, there are, there are things about being a rabbi mm, that, there we go. that sort of, that really changed the calculus of, of this kind of interpersonal thing about when can you expect forgiveness uh, wh or wh when, what are you going to be your standards for forgiving? And, and when can you and can't you expect an apology? And I've found over, over the years that um, it's not, I can't, I have to forgive without any expectation of an apology, without any expectation of contrition um, or acknowledgement. And... And I don't, and I think that there's a distinction between that and just, you know, allowing yourself to be abused. Like that's, sure. that, that's totally different, you know? And I also, you know, in, in there are people who might listen to your podcast who might be able to connect me to other synagogues, the synagogues that I used to work in the past. And I don't want, you know, so but obviously. You've been, a, you've been a rabbi at multiple places and. Yep. You know, you've been a student and in the clergy and in Jewish education for a really long time. So you don't have to say specific names yeah. and places, but you yeah. can talk about instances yeah. of how someone acted. But I wouldn't want, I just, okay. in, in case anyone out there is watching, I want them to know that, that it's, it's all good. Oh yeah. I don't see um, any in your energy field, like I'm right. so angry at these people or this one person at all. No, certainly. And because even, even, the, even the, the very difficult things about those experiences I now recognize were for my, for my good. They were mm -hmm. for my good. And that is a hard... It's easy to say now. It wasn't easy to say then. Sure. Um, so I had, um, as a clergy, a problematic relationship with another clergy. And it was... It was ridiculous. Mm. Like it was, this was a, it was a situation that I felt that I, I shouldn't have been put in and was, it was toxic. 
and it was abusive. Mm. Um, and there were several instances of public outburst uh, that I was on the receiving end of oh. that still didn't you know, end the professional relationship. And it got to, and I mean, it, it was the pandemic. And I had two kids to feed. Yeah. So I couldn't just leave the job. But that was, that was what I felt was what I should do yeah. for health. Because there was nothing, there was, you know, I couldn't, that individual, I couldn't, yeah. you know. Uh, so wow. you know what happened? We actually were, um, both of us were, forced by the board to go into mediation. Oh my goodness. Wow. And it was, it was, it was like the whole thing was, it was just totally crazy. I just mm. couldn't believe, it was like science fiction, mm. what was happening. But you know what happened? Something actually happened in those sessions. Um, I'll, I'll backtrack for a second because, you know, there's a, there's a sort of, there's a, there's a, there's a general arc narrative that has nothing to do with anybody else. And it has everything to do with how I experience um, myself, what I think of myself, and how I experience conflict with other human beings. And this was sort of one of the big things that was, you know, one of the bridges of that transformation. But, you know, Chloe, God bless her. She's like, she's His like wife. my mm. wife. She's like Bruria in the Talmud, who uh. is, um, she is uh, Rabbi Mayer's wife. And when Rabbi Mayer has there are these bullies in the neighborhood that are picking on him and that are beating him up. And she overhears him praying to God for their death. And she comes and says, no way, mister. Like that is, and she proves to him in a very rabbinic text-based style that he should be praying instead for them to make teshuva and like in that repentance. story that's like yeah. make, make 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 repentance for them for them to change for them to not to be transform evil. yeah which is which is really i mean that torah her torah is really the torah that we're talking about here like that's and you know how how different would judaism be and how different would the would would the jewish people be and the world if be. if if we, if our um, our religion had been more geared towards that kind of Torah, and the tr the funny thing, not funny, the ironic thing is, it is. It, it is. It's supposed to be, but it's a, her voice is an undercurrent. Oh. In anyway, that, that's a that's a whole other that's a whole. Yeah, other but I just want to highlight here that you're giving your wife that credit. Yes, she has that credit because when I was when I was suffering mm -hmm. from these different Fully. things that would happen, yeah. she would say, hurt people hurt people. Yeah. Um, meaning, this has nothing to do with you. Right. This has to do with those people. Yeah. And at the time, that was, it didn't seem to mean much to me. Yeah. It didn't seem to help me very much. Mm. But I reached a point where I, and I don't know how I got there, but you know, my, my own view of myself changed to the point where I, re I felt 
competent <laughs> as a rabbi, and that wasn't always the case. Not mm-hmm. as a not as a starting off junior rabbi yeah. in Calgary, and not as starting off having my own pulpit in Toronto. So having that having that confidence and the competence to mm. um, really you know believe in myself, mm. and you know I also I I I took a piece of Torah from Rabbi Moshe Cordovero in his um, his famous work about it's a it's a what is it called. Uh, Musar, Musar Torah, Musar. right? Which is yeah. how would you translate Musar? Well, I happen to have Musar. studied with like a a Baal Musar uh, Rabbi Yitzhak Shurin at Midrash Rachel in Israel. Like when I went to yeshiva, I was telling you guys in the middle of my twenties, I like went to learn with him. And um, Rav Yisrael Salanter was the founder of the Musar movement. And basically, what I learned, what got me into Torah, is that the Torah is a self help book. If you look at it, it starts with the bed, it ends with the Lamed. It's a love letter from God to the Jewish people, but really the whole world. And why? And so, bed and Lamed, why is that? Oh, because bed and Lamed, if you put them together, you get the word lev, which mm. means uh, heart. And so, the Musar movement takes the word love and in a somewhat masochistic Jewish way, Ashkenazi, you know, Jewish way, is looking at it like you need to be a little bit hard on yourself to Mm. really get it. Not really hard on yourself, but if you change one characteristic, it's like you change the whole world. Right. By learning Torah. You learn the Torah to become a better person, not just to be a scholar. And I was was often guilty Mm. um, in my early spiritual life, my Balchiva life, where I became, you know, religious and... It was the Reiki, right? It was the Kabbalah. It was the it was the lights and bells and whistles. Yeah, the and feel now, good Torah. And, yeah, and now that's called spiritual bypassing. Oh yeah, right, where you go into these blissful experiences and you don't do the really difficult work where the rubber hits the road of this this yeah. emotional stuff. And I was always very resistant to Musa because it was just like, oh, you know, self criticism, self criticism, yeah. self criticism, flagellation, flagellation. And you know, yeah. you 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 kick that can down the road, and you know, you're gonna have to come, you're gonna have to face that music eventually, right? Yeah. Um. So, I took a page out of uh, Cordovero's book in, yeah. in Tamar Dvora, which is his main. I think it's his main thing about about you know forgiveness and forgiving others. Hmm. Um. He says, find one thing whether it's a small thing or anything that a person does and say, and say, and, and say to yourself, it's a little bit of a mental trick yeah. that you have to play on yourself. And, and, and a lot of interesting that, that medieval stuff, it, it, it works. Yeah. You know, it is a mental trick. You could say it's a placebo, but it works. So you say you find this one thing that the person does that's, that's of merit. That's a good thing. And say to yourself, it's enough. Yeah. That it doesn't negate any of the other, you know, hurtful things that they're doing to you, but you then you don't judge them as a bad person. They're a person you're having a difficult relationship with, but you're trying to see the good. And in these mediation sessions, this, you know, he was, um, explaining to me what I did that upset him and why it was hurtful. And I saw, honestly, a lot of myself in him. I saw mm. a little bit of my father, actually, in that he was, I was coming into the, coming up to the pulpit, whether it was High Holidays or the Bema, whatever, 
in a, in, in a fashion less organized than mm -hmm. I could have been. Mm -hmm. And that made his work with me mm -hmm. difficult. And so even it wasn't, even though it wasn't mm -hmm. a, um, a moral or a personal offense that I saw myself committing against him, he was very upset. It was a trigger for him. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I heard him and then, um, it was the first, it was the first, um, high holidays that we were doing in person. And that was 2020. It was, uh. it was 2020. And I, we had this uh, live streaming company. And so I had to be super organized because they had to put the page number on the screen for all the viewers at home. So I made it organized. Okay. I, I made a spreadsheet and I have never been, and, and this was, this was something that improved my own FEMA performance more than anything was, that was a gift. knowing yeah. everything mm -hmm. and being able to call the ball at all moments. So that was an improvement just in my own right. But when he saw that I prepared that and he, he felt seen mm -hmm. and he felt heard and, you know, he saw a lot of merit in me and then a relationship that was like really negative, really difficult. Like, you know, in, in, in polite terms, it'd be like, you know, we had our difficulties, but, you know, we got over it. But like that, it was like more than that. It was, sure. it was, it was difficult. And it, it turned into one where it was like we're you know, peas in the pot. We were, we were, we were, we were fine. And, you know, to the point where, you know, he'll, he'll call me now to see how I'm doing. And he would call me after he stopped working that he, he would call me on a Friday just to check in, you know, to see how, how we are. And, you know, genuinely, and, but, you know, there was he never apologized, but I, I didn't need that, you know, mm. Wow, I didn't. I didn't feel I needed that. When when he calls now and your phone lights up with his name, do you feel like proud of that accomplishment, or yeah. are you kind of like, ugh, it's him? No, no, it's not that. It's like a genuine feeling of, oh, this is that's, that's so nice that he's a beautiful. Yeah, beautiful. yeah, and you know, it, it, if you're listening out there, just you know, it it's all good. Yeah. Aww. It really it really is you. all good. I mean, he knows that. He, he knows that. And maybe thank you for getting me more. Uh, yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> that's true. No, I mean, it was, it was uh, all the, those, those relationships that are the most difficult sometimes are the most helpful. Yeah. Um, because look, where, where would Joseph be if he didn't have the adversity? 21 years, 20, 32 years. I always forget the exact amount of time. Well, he was 17 years when he went to Into Egypt. Into Egypt. And I thought that he was... 34. Uh -huh. I thought that he was 17 years in. 17 and 17? Yeah. And okay. 17. And so 17 is 17 is Tov. That's the gematria of Tov. And Tov meaning good. good. Yeah. And I gave a I gave a drash here on Rosh Hashanah about drashing apart the word Tov because, you know, I'm saying Shana Tova. So what does that mean? Tov is the hidden. Mm. The hidden light, right? When God saw the light and Whoa. saw that it was good, it, yeah. it was hidden. Um and um, also, uh, it's got the same numerical value of egos, which is a nut, which is like, you know, the good stuff is hidden inside. Yeah, and usually the people that do crazy things are nuts. <laughs> um, I'm glad you could laugh at that. 
So I wanted to say two things about that. When you just said so beautifully about the Musar that you learned where uh, Rabbi Cordova says um, to really try to zero in on one particular thing about the person you're having a difficult time with, that's good, that's tov, and maybe a little hidden. So that's part two of the meditation we did earlier today. So if you wanted to do it, I would just say, like, you can put one hand on your heart, one on your belly, and you, listeners at home, you can take a deep breath in. And you can imagine yourself on one end of a bridge and a person that you're having difficulty with on the other end of the bridge. And even though it might look like frozen ice between you and the other person, just take a deep breath in and try to zero in on one good thing, even if they don't deserve it because you're so upset with them or frustrated. Just try to just breathe into one good thing that there you go, one good thing that they have. And then as you do that, you can breathe out and kind of melt the ice and from your heart to their heart, just see a bunch of like hearts all the way down and then see them sending you love back and see if that moves you a little bit. And then I usually like to take my hand and put it on my heart and kind of polish it off and kind of get rid of another layer. Beautiful. Um, I have a different direction I want to go now, which is um, what's our biggest problem as a Jewish people right now? Like what's something, and you could say the world at large, but just because you work in the Jewish community, like I'm sure it's just a reflection of the outside world, but what could we work on as a people? What could we work on as a world to become more unified? Like what, what's, what's going on? I'm sure you think about it a lot. I do. It might be hard to pick just one thing, but the number and one I, I thing. I think it is a, it is the same problem that the world is having. And we're, we're a microcosm of it. Woody Allen always said, Jews are like everyone else except more so. <laughs> so, so we have it. So whatever, we, whatever is going on with the world, um, like if, if, if the world has a cold, we have, we have pneumonia. Yeah. Right? So... Maybe it's because our Jewish grandmothers because are talking about it. Because we're so hypochondriac. Like, like, oh, I have, I have it uh, worse. Sorry. I have a fever. I must be dying. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, I'll tell you a story. I was having, I was having a conversation with uh, a retired reform rabbi, and we were talking about just the state of things in the world, you know, this extremism um, that's sort of, really bubbling to the surface and, in a, and, and seems to be very violent and, and scary. And it doesn't seem, there doesn't seem to be anywhere in the world where it's not happening. And it's happening to Jewish people too. We're having a lot of Jew, Jewish extremists. And he, tell, he told me about a time that he was on a trip. And I don't know what organization, but it was men and women. And they were at the, the Kotel Plaza. The Willing Wall in Jerusalem. The Willing Wall. Yeah. And they were not at the wall part of the wall. They were in the plaza part of the wall where you're allowed to be mixed between men and women. And they made a, a, a minion. Uh, a Jewish prayer uh, or group. A, a prayer Which sir. is usually at the wall, just 10 men, and then the women do it on the side. I heard someone come on the loudspeaker and in, in English said, the reforms are in the plaza. Go get them. What? Yeah, and Ooh. they and they were just. I mean, and it was it was they were 
throwing things at them and shouting at them and it was and it and it was it was go go back to germany and go into a gas chamber and exterminate yourself no those were the words and and i mean they were they as they were you know being hurried onto the tour bus like they were being spat at and i mean the that i mean we can disagree about how torah is applied but the problem is that, um, and I don't know, and I, and I think it, I think it comes down to how, you know, because you could, it doesn't matter what sect, yeah. you're gonna have people of every faith, of every denomination, of every faith, and there's gonna be a certain percentage of them that feel that way about other people that that uh, like really just so so lacking in compassion so lacking in 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 love and i just don't know what what does that yeah um whether it's intergenerational trauma or trauma or you know yeah it's like we're not we're not loving enough to ourselves we're not loving enough to fellow jews i think we're probably like not loving enough within our nuclear Family. Families. Oh, yeah. And, and, and that is what's spilling out yeah. into the world. And, you know, I think that all of the problems that we face, whether it's climate or, you know, uh, Russia, <laughs> you know, all, the, all of these problems, I think, stem from an emotional problem, a spiritual and an emotional problem. And... It's, I don't know if it's just, I don't know whether to be more scared or more sad mm. about, about, you know, it, it's one thing if, if a ship is going down like the Titanic and people are, you know, doing noble things and helping each other and you get on the lifeboat and, you know, let's, let's pitch in and, 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 and we're in this together. But I think, unfortunately, we've seen that there can be a global emergency and there isn't that feeling of, we're in it together mm. and and i don't know like like that's a, it's like it's sad yeah i i just want to piggyback on what you just said that's such a beautiful way of saying it like maybe the question the kasha in hebrew would be is it going to be healthier for my mental wellness to be scared of what's going on or sad mm. and even though i'm not a big fan of like getting depressed i think it's perfectly acceptable to feel sad in the place of feeling scared. Mm. I think that's a really beautiful way of looking at it. And only you would come up with that. But I, I want to welcome that because mm. I feel like if we could just be a little sad for what's going on instead of a little scared, like scared means that actually we stop the love. But if you feel sad, then we have a chance to, my thing in my classes that I teach is notice what you're feeling, feel it, heal it, and then create something of beauty that you can teach whatever the wisdom is that you got from the difficulty in your life. And to me, sad is in there, but scared that you can't do anything with scared. You Mm. just freeze. Mm. Yeah. Scared, scared takes you in a, in a different direction because scared, you know, scared, whatever it is that's scaring you has the, has a power over you. Yeah. And you're scared of it. (laughs) And, and so, and then that, there's secondary and tertiary reactions to that that sort of take you off course. Whereas, you know, you, 
you can you can be sad about something but yeah you know, still be kind of on course with yeah compassion yeah i also wanted to go back um to add to the prayer that we or the meditation that we did of the person on the other end of the bridge so i also had a really weird thing happen um once in my jewish education experience i had someone who worked uh above me who i guess was just you know triggered by things that i did and said and then i got very triggered by by that person because mm. God always puts a match, right? You can all, we can all go down the line here in the studio audience and you'd each tell me, right? When your head's nodding, if you were triggered by someone, chances are they were triggered by you and vice versa. It's very rare that there's no charge on the battery, right? Right on the other end. I've worked at a hundred Jewish schools and camps. And usually like if there's a difference in opinion or something, we both go, you know what? I don't think this is the right fit. So great working with you. Oh yeah, Totally. See you later, gesund to hate, love you. Like, there's a love. I've never been written up, let go, fired, nothing. But the way that it happened was so traumatic for me. Mm. And there's a little piece of me that's still in, like, pain from it because it was done so awfully. But I used this Rosh Hashanah to write to them, these two people. And I said, what can I say besides just, I hope you'll forgive me? I'm going to also say I forgive you, mm. but I want to bring out like a few things that they did as an exercise. I must have mm. been channeling this rabbi. I knew I was going to have this conversation with you. And it's a great thing to do if you have someone to write a letter of forgiveness to. You can even do it if they've passed because it still matters. Your words and your thoughts become things in this lifetime. And the only reason we're here is to grow. That's it. It's not just to go on vacation, even though that's great. You should take advantage of that and be joyous. But really, it's to grow. So I wrote out to them, I hope you'll forgive me individually. Um, I totally forgive you. You're 100% off the hook. And I just want to say thank you so much for this, this, and this. I did like three things for each of them. Hmm. One of them hasn't written me back yet. Maybe they didn't get it. Maybe they blocked me. I don't know. Maybe it went to junk mail. I'm going to give them Don Lechovskut. I'm going to give them the you know, benefit of the doubt. But the other one wrote me back and said, Thank you so much. I wish you a great year. And that was enough for me. It was even enough just to send it. I felt this ah, when I sent it. Right. And I felt like I unhooked, right? There's, if there's a, a sewing hook, there's always two ends. And they're both sharp. However you slice it. One might be a hook. The other one be, be a point. But you have the option of making yours dull so you can move on, right? Ah. And I always feel like, members of the Christian faith sometimes get this a little, just it's more like rampant, like, oh, forgive from your heart. I don't know. Not every Christian has a Southern accent, but especially here in Kentucky, it's like, you just feel it. There's a, huh, you know, or at least that's my experience. I think, you you know, Louisville is, is a very special place. And I haven't even really been to other places in Kentucky besides uh, Lexington to pick up a couch. And the guy I picked it up from was like from Denver. So it didn't even really matter. Um, but I've, I've just found people to be like super kind here. Super. Amazing. And I don't know if it was always like that for us Jews being in the Southern States because, you know, there were lynchings. We had, to, we created the ADL from a terrible lynching that happened in the South, but I feel like times are changing and I want to notate that because mm. yes, there's extremism. I also see, I see extremism everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I heard why on a bus once in Israel. And I didn't understand, I think, until this moment why. And I'm going to share it with you. 
I was once when I was learning in Israel in yeshiva on a bus, an Agid bus in Jerusalem. And I'm sitting next to this very religious looking Jewish woman with her hair is all bundled and she's in her 80s at least and beautiful skin. And she only talks in an Israeli and Yiddish accent. So she's kind of like this, you know. And I sit right next to her because I just, I felt such a warmth. And this man gets on the bus at the next stop and he's wearing one of those strimals, you know, the furry big hats. I still have no clue what this is. I'm very new, right, on this bus. And it's a hundred degrees outside. And he's wearing like a kapata, this big long coat, thick pants and the big, I mean, he must have been sweating and sweltering inside. And he gets on the bus and he goes, and he kind of coughs out this giant phlegm ball. Okay. It's called like a loogie, right? And it lands right next to our feet. Oh. And the, I know. And the woman next to me goes, Malchus. And I said, Malchus? What's Malchus? She goes, Malchus. You know, it's, uh, it means uh, king, kingship. And I go, King? Like Elvis? Like he's the king? What are you talking about? That was disgusting. She goes, I know it's disgusting. I said, so why are you saying kingly? She goes, let me explain it to you. She had like Russian, Yiddish, Israeli. She goes, in every generation, there's going to be a mida, a one characteristic. She goes, this generation is the mida of Malchus. I'm like, well, I didn't see a king. I saw a gross, disgusting moment. So I don't know what you're talking about. She said, on one side of the Mida is kingship. I'm the best. I'm amazing. Me, 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 me. Right? iPhone. I, the iPod had just come out. She was not the iPad. Remember those little, like the original, iPod. like iPod, like yeah. no iPhone yet, oh, sure. but the, the iPod. And she goes, me, me, self-help. I'm the best. I'm the, from the eighties, right? Like from 1980, the me generation, right? Nineties. It just, it's getting worse, right? How many kids? Everything's with an emoji. They can't even talk anymore. They text the friend in their room because they can't say, right? So on the one side is I'm so focused on myself. I'm the best narcissist. But on the other side, listen to me. I have something to say, right? Like look what's happening in Iran right now. The women are saying, I don't want to wear this on my head. I have a voice. Let me have it. There's a song, one of our friends sings, I have a voice. My voice is powerful. My voice can change the world. That's a beautiful, it's a cantor friend of ours that like wrote that song. And it's such a beautiful idea. I have a voice. Well, sometimes it's a little deafening and you need to have two ears and one mouth. Hmm. So there's like that push pull. And as you were saying that before, I was like, oh, that's why I learned that. So if we could in this generation, what would be your solution for that? How do we listen more? just means um, when when someone is not being the way you want them to be or something anyone isn't doing the thing you want them to do get really really quiet mm. I think I think more often than not we are we are so quick to express disapproval um, 
or some other masked form of it or the ego comes out the, it, yeah. the ego comes out and we 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 are whether we're speaking it out loud or not we're caught up in our internal monologue about why this why this person is oh what a putz that he's doing that and just be quiet yeah maybe right. have more sadness about it instead of anger well you know as as for the as for the guy spitting you know one thing you could do is you could say like oh maybe look this guy is uncomfortable you know probably doesn't feel good to oh yeah, that, yeah, yeah. He wasn't that. doing it on. I don't think no, he was but, like, "I'm right. gonna show them my spit." Now, and I'm not. Right, I'm, not, I'm not saying that you were. I'm not saying that you were judging. But this is our, you know, the ways that we can soften our disposition. Yeah. No, I was totally um, judging him. There was <laughs> there was malchus on both sides. And by the way, I forgot to say the reason she said that is because Mashiach is going to be born from that moment of we're all until we all become our mini leaders in our own communities and everyone's exemplifying, you know, it's either going to go one of two ways. We're going to bring Mashiach and redemption of the world and world peace by trying very hard to bring world peace ourselves and not fighting, but actually mm. finding the peace in every single moment, whether you're at the, the grocery store line and someone's being a jerk and following what he said and being kind to them, even in spite mm. of their mm -hmm. ego, or it's going to come because people are fighting so much that there, there has to be some sort of redemption mm. because we will just basically kill each it other. Forces, it forces, it'll, it'll force us to, you know, sometimes I, I was, I was in Israel and I ran into somebody who I knew from Vancouver, um, who was, who was religious. And he said, you know, as, and he's South African and I'm Canadian. So we have a sense of decorum and politeness that just isn't shared yeah. in, in Israel. <laughs> and he said, he said, it's a holy land and it's like that for a reason to show you, you see, like, you see how you could be treating people like this is like oh. almost holding up an example of, of, of how not, uh, oh, interesting. how not to act towards people that meaning if, if someone is, you know, on the, on the more meritorious side, they're going to be overly, um, yeah. kind, right. but you know, if they're, if they don't have, you know, they don't have that merit. And we're just going to be behemoths, right? <laughs> right? They're going to be, and they're going to be, they're going to be worse than yeah, the average. I never, it, I never experienced the chesed, the kindness, like I did in Israel. Like I had people living near me in my dorm that brought me soup when I was sick, right? And I'd never experienced that before from a total stranger, right? And also on the bus, right? If you say I'm going to see this person over here. 10 people get up. Oh, let me take you. I know them. And do you have enough money? And let me give you some water and some snack. Yeah. Like that doesn't and happen they'll, and they'll in America. Sometimes be, they'll sometimes be a little bit brisk. Oh yeah. You take, no, take my they'll directions. Never, they'll, right. You'll never be, you'll never be like left alone in an emergency or anything. Like, no, like someone's always going to, someone always going to, you know, have your back there. Yeah. Have you ever read the, you ever used the soap, Dr. Bronner's soap? Yeah, I think so. All right. Have you ever, have you guys familiar with this soap? Okay. There's there's tons of tiny print, and now that I'm living in the states again, um, I'm I'm happy because it's in in Canada. Half of that has to be in French. All of the all of the Dr. Bronner oh. and this guy, you, oh, you got to see this documentary, Dr. Bronner's Magical Soapbox. This guy was a, he was the um, third generation, I think, of German uh, soap manufacturers. They had their their factory in Germany in the wow. in the 19 Jewish family. Okay, they came to the U.S. before uh, the war, and he inherited his father's, you know, 
I don't know, the soap making. He didn't, he didn't have a, they didn't have a factory in the States. Um, but then he started, he started like developing this philosophy that he called the moral ABCs. And it was basically, it was kind of like a modern secular version of Baha'i, which mm. is that there was a succession of faith that, you know, that Abraham, Jesus, Muhammad, they were all trying to point us to the fact that humanity is one. Oh, yeah. But it's the essence of, you know, the Shema that, you know, one beautiful global soul. unity. Yeah. And, and he has this whole theory about spaceship Earth, unite spaceship Earth. And he was, you know, he was one of the first people to be, you know, biodegradable and, you know, like, likes to support lots of um, grassroots social justice he causes. But, you know, in the 1930s and 40s, if you started talking like that and got very excited and were like yelling when you were talking to people, people thought you were crazy. And there was a rule, um, one of the laws, I think it was New York State, that um, I, I, an immediate family member could go to the police and have you committed for speaking to, loudly? To, no, well, if they if they thought that the police thought you were insane, they could work on a relative of yours and they just lock the person up. Because he because he was, you know, he would talk to people and he would Aww. people think would think he was crazy. Aww. And so he got he gets locked into uh, an asylum. But in that your relative can check you out and take you out for dinner. So his sister takes him out for dinner. He goes to the bathroom and he he rips her off. He takes 50 bucks from her purse, jumps out the window. In, from the bathroom, runs away to California, where um, I think for no first he goes, I think he, first he goes to Vegas, and he like win, he doubles his money, or he, and then he starts a soap factory in California. Oh my gosh! He doesn't surface again to the '60s, but his whole philosophy is uniting humanity in love, and that's the wow. that's the solution, right? I mean, it's, it's, it sounds very simple. Yeah, well, I, I mean, that's one of the reasons I started my podcast. I was hoping more people could see that. Thank you so much. And here are some nuggets of wisdom that I learned from my conversation with Rabbi Joshua Gorber. We all want a transformative experience when we apologize to someone. When can you expect forgiveness? When can or can't you expect an apology? And the answer is, according to Rabbi Josh, never. You only give forgiveness and apologize out of your own heart, out of love and compassion and empathy, and you don't expect anything in return. He said he stopped suffering when he learned how to forgive without an expectation of an apology or even an acknowledgement. And Joshua follows the rule that if you try to find one positive thing about the person you're having a difficult time with, that can carry you through. He said, where would Joseph be if he didn't have adversity? Meaning Joseph, the biblical character who suffered a lot adversity in his life. And sometimes our most difficult relationships are those that make us who we really are. The word tov in Hebrew means good. And the numerical value of that is 17. The Hebrew letters tet, vav, and bet added up together numerically equals 17. I hope you enjoyed the meditation to forgive someone you're having a difficult time with. And if you didn't do it, go back and do it. When I asked Rabbi Korber what biggest problem facing the Jewish people today, he said, if the world is having a cold, we're having pneumonia. Meaning all the problems that we have as a people, or really any people, comes down to an emotional or spiritual problem. And then he went on further to say, 
I don't know whether to be more scared or sad, which I thought was profound. And we talked about whether it's healthier for our mental wellness to get scared or allow ourselves to be sad. I think Rabbi Shlomo Karlbach, that's all, would have said, it's always better to have compassion and be a little bit sad for someone than to be angry at them or live in fear that others will join that force of being a force for fear. When we're scared, we stop our love. But if we feel sad, then we can actually love the person from afar and feel sad for them that they haven't seen the light yet or we haven't met in the middle or understood one another. And then I shared a formula that I use in my class, Making Space for the Magical, which goes notice it, feel it, heal it, and then create something of beauty or creativity from that wisdom which you got from that which was sad or scary. When we're scared and we're feeling a creative block, it just means that we're stopped in our track and the fear is having this power over us that doesn't help us and it sometimes will take us way off course. But you can be sad about something and still on course with compassion. Remember that like the song says, your voice is powerful. You have one and you can and will change the world for good. You just have to choose to do that. And you make one choice for good at a time. Check out that song by Alana Ariane on YouTube and sing along. It'll make you feel good all over. Also, Rabbi Korber said to check out Dr. Bronner's Magic Soapbox documentary. You can find it streaming online under B-R-O-N-N-E-R. Thank you so much for joining us. Catch you next time. If you know somebody with a great story about forgiveness, failure, or freedom, please share them with us. If you learned something new or feel like something from this episode can inspire someone else, please share the episode on your Facebook page or Instagram and tag that person and tag us too. You can find all of our social medias, drop us a note, or join our newsletter at www.c1beautifulsoul.com. Please don't forget to subscribe and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else you hear podcasts. May we all choose to look for the light in ourselves and each other in all ways, always.